You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Power of White Podcast with your host, Jeanette Collazo. Today, we're going to have a very interesting and very fun episode. Today, we're going to talk about investigation of other people that have been very curious about the topic. We're going to discuss some things that are pretty much day-to-day things that we've seen. And we're going to, you know, try to combine this with examples from the workplace. So what I want to do today is take the work of Joseph T. Hallinan, which wrote a book called Why We Make Mistakes, How We Look Without Seeing, Forget Things in Second, and Are Pretty Sure We Are Way Above Average. So I am not the only one that has been curious about why we make mistakes, and I'm pretty sure there is a lot more people that has studied this phenomena. But I do want to summarize one amazing work, which is the one from Hallinan, and I want to compare it to what I've seen in the workplace based on what he has worked. Another thing is that I want to compare these to me. I make a lot of mistakes just like everybody. The only difference is that I'm hypervigilant to the ones that I make because I want to be able to explain. Again, I'm very curious. So I do want to explain why I make mistakes. And it's funny because I tend to discuss this with friends and all of that. And people laugh a lot about my mistakes. You know, consider the fact that I once drove to the wrong airport. You know what that means? I needed to travel. I knew that I needed to go to the airport at this time. I took the GPS. I said, I want to go to the airport. And I never checked my ticket or the airport's name or whatever. At the end of the day, I, you know, get to the airport. I return the rental car. And then when I'm inside the airport, I was in the wrong airport. Was I embarrassed? Now, (laughs) it's something that I would expect from me. Yes, and I laugh at my own experiences and my own jokes. I tried to run and see if the car was still there, but now I had to rent another one to go to the other airport. Just the good thing is that I had enough time to get to the correct one. So yes, you know, my friends tell me I am my own experiment, that I make these most incredible mistakes, and it's just that I keep track of them. I think that that will be the difference. So I want to discuss what Halinan discusses in this book. It's going to take us more than one episode, but I do want to start having this discussion because it opens our mind to look at these things in a different way. Okay, so this is what he says. He says, you know what? Yes, to err is 90% human. Now, there's another portion that it's not necessarily associated to people, but we fail to see it because when something goes wrong, the cause is usually and overwhelmingly attributed to human error and the inquiry stops right there. So once you say, well, this was just, I just forgot or I chose the incorrect you know, product, we don't go further because, you know, to where is human. And we do know and understand that's true. But again, this is the power of why. So we are trying to know why we make certain type of mistakes. So, for example, when we see this statistic, this is what we find. Airplane crashes associated 70% to human error. Car wrecks, 90%. Workplace accidents, 90%. In GMP-related industries, which is the most of the times what I 
work with, we've seen a very, you know, standard 80%. And yes, we can see, we know that most issues are related to people. And that's the reason why we have to ask why. Because we need to address these situations we do know is a very high number. So that means that high number is basically telling me, okay, you have to dig deeper. You have to find more information. Otherwise, you're just going to learn to live with that. And I don't think that will be the most responsible way of doing things, right? He's basically saying is, you know, mistakes are usually not our fault, at least not entirely. And this is something that we see very clearly in investigations, that we don't look for the root cause. And 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 most of the times it's because we think we know what happened, okay? And most of the times this is directly related to bias, okay? So we are all affected by certain systematic biases in the way we see, remember, and perceive our environment. That makes us make mistakes. So for example, If I'm a right-handed person, I'm biased, you know, to the right side, and it's not necessarily because I choose so, but unconsciously this occurs, okay? So if you're a right-handed person and you go into a building, most likely your tendency would be to turn right, okay? Not without knowing, and even though you might know that there could be a better route, but this is what's going to happen by nature, okay? So it's something that has been studied and it usually happens. And actually, this is something that I, you know, validated myself because recently I moved to a new building and I have to walk a little bit to get to the pool. And usually when I come back to the pool, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, gathering all my things and just thinking, daydreaming. I'm relaxed. I'm not really paying attention. So I try to, to trust my instincts to get back home. And at least three times I've gotten lost within my own apartment complex. Yes, because I take the right turn in the wrong moment. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I start looking for the landmarks. It's so embarrassing. That's really embarrassing because I don't want to see my neighbors looking, you know, looking at say, look at that crazy lady. She doesn't even know where she's going, but it happens. It's normal. You know, it's Something that even if you know about what you're talking about, like me, because I do understand that I know about this, still things happen to me. Why? Because I'm human and I, you know, I don't have a, an option. It's going to happen to me. The best that I can do is, you know, document it and share it with you so we can all laugh about it and learn from it. So yes, there is certain biases that it's going to, you know, dominate our. Another example about biases is that most people prefer the number seven. I don't know if you know this and try to do polls when you are with a group of people. So most people like the colors, the number seven and the color blue. And that's why most logos are blue. So yes, those are all biases. And when you study this, you can manage many things from marketing, from brands, from, you know, all types of approaches that, that we see in a day to day life. Another thing that is very interesting when we talk about bias is test taking. Okay. When you take a test, I remember in school that everybody would tell you, you know, the first answer that you choose, you know, maybe you are going to have second thoughts. Don't change it because most of the time is the first one that you chose. That's the correct one. Well, eh, wrong answer. Yes, very wrong answer. And the thing is that we have a lot of data, empirical data that explains to the contrary. Okay. So 80 years of research on answer changing have demonstrated that most changes are from wrong 
to write, and people who change their answers perform better and improve their scores. Yet they still do it. And I'm pretty sure you're basically questioning me also right now. You're going like, nah, no, this. So I'm pretty sure some of you do not, even if I'm telling you this, are not going to believe me. So yes, it's a very strong bias. And usually it takes our actions and actually work against us. So these are all things that are no normal that will happen to us. The scary thing is that it not only happens with tests, it, this has also been tested with investors. You know, even after learning that their choice might be wrong, there's a tendency to stick to their initial choice 70% of the time. That's scary. That's scary. But that's how we use. So that's part of one of the things that we think we have to think about that bias, those ingrained thoughts that live within us and how to, you know, when you question things, when you ask why you start breaking those and then we lose a little bit of those biases that will put us in a situation to make mistakes. Another thing is that we miss details. Okay. And this is very interesting, especially when we're talking about, you know, putting together the recollection of an experience. I see this when we do investigations and we have to do interviews. One of the things that I always tell when I'm doing training on investigating human error is that when you do your interview, just take into the account, you know, have all the details from the story and then try to fill in the gaps because we really miss a lot of details. Okay. So we are good on quick sizing in situations, but within the tenth of a second after looking at a scene, we are able to extract the meaning. So that means that I don't really take a lot of time to look at something and then you know, make a decision of what that means. Okay. So, you know, and the problem with this is that we are going to miss a lot of details. And that's why when we do investigations and we finish the investigations and we see what happens, then everybody's like, oh, but you know, that's kind of obvious. You know, it's how hard it is to, you know, to detect the color red or something like that. Well, in hindsight, everything is 2020. So of course you're going to see this type of reactions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we, you know, all of those details were obvious at the beginning. So yeah, we have to consider that. And if you think about it, it's very scary when it comes to a jury. Right. And providing people with the responsibility of the future of a person in a trial. Okay. And that's maybe why we've seen, and, and this I think I mentioned before, and I'm going to correct something that I said because I mentioned that Japan was implementing AI in court rulings, but it's not Japan, it's China. Okay. I just want to clarify that because I do know that I mentioned this before. I think it was when I was discussing some of these things with Glorimar. So it's interesting how we are even starting to incorporate artificial intelligence to fix those gaps that we understand about people. I haven't read the whole thing and maybe we can dedicate a, a particular episode to jury and this type of situations and maybe dig deeper on this topic. But it's interesting because that means that we've been detecting things to go wrong. If you're trying to incorporate intelligence, artificial intelligence in jury or court rulings, then that means that you have identified a lot of things that are wrong. And that's the scary part. So yeah, we, we need to talk about that. So yes, the world does need help. And that's why we are here in a test. 
if you think about this in a test, 30% of people forgot the password that they created after one week, 65% after three months. Me, a tenth of a second. You don't know how many times I have to reset my password twice or three times in the same moment. Because I'm like, okay, I usually use this password. Now you're asking me that I have to change it. So I change it. I become a little creative because I have to have a, a cap. Then I have to have a number. Then I have to have a symbol. Then some of them require a character. Some others seven. Some others ten. Some other. So of course I'm going to need help. <laughs> it's, it, of course I'm going to forget. So sometimes I'm finding myself, you know what, let me, let me write it down and then I'm going to try it. And, you know, I have to put so many controls so I don't forget, but believe me, and I don't like those, you know, automatic password that they suggest because those are absolutely not retrievable whatsoever. So I do try to create my own, but it, it's, it's not that simple and you will forget very quickly. So in reality, we can't remember more than five unrelated data points at once. And that's why we, we teach that we have very little resources of memory and capacity to retain information for more than certain amount of time because we really don't have a lot of memory capacity. And we've discussed before, we are losing it every day, every day, even more and more and more and more. Another thing, if you think about it, think about cars, right? So cars, in order to be safer, they incorporate, you know, a navigation system. They incorporate the cruise controls, the GPS. Oh, there are, there are so many features and, and, and things that we have incorporated in the design of cars. Then you might conclude that they are distractors. And that's what I've noticed. I've noticed that all of these Things are distractors. And at the end of the day, the design of the car basically asks you for a promise. You know, you turn, you start the car and then all these things are there. You put your phone, you all of these things, you're going to use as much as possible technology. But then the car says, promise me that you won't get distracted and that you won't manipulate any of these amazing, so much fun features while driving. And you're like, Okay, but then that doesn't necessarily happen like that. I have always said that if you really want a car that is safe, you eliminate distractions, you incorporate things that is going to increase my level of awareness of my surroundings and those type of things more than incorporating entertainment into the car. Yeah. So when things happen and when you get into an accident, who gets blamed? You or the car? Yeah, well you know what's going to happen. So that's the problem that the misattribution of blame is the reason we make mistakes over and over and over again. And we see this in doing in the industry when we evaluate Kappa effectiveness. If you don't understand the real reason why we make mistakes, my corrective actions and my preventive actions won't prove to be effective because we are blaming the wrong cause. And that's why we want to make sure that we don't miss the details when working with all of these type of situations. So talking about investigations, of course, we are going to later dedicate a particular episodes to doing human error investigations in the workplace, whether they're safety related or quality related. But you know, be before we do that, even we have learned, and it's part of what Halinan mentions in the book, even investigators that are trained have biases. And it's called the effect 
hindsight, okay? Because they know what happened and that affects the why it happened. So if I know what happened, sometimes I think that I understand why it happened. And I'm going to give you an example. We have a tool. It's called the root cause determination tool. And that's what I use for my investigations. And it's divided in five whys. You know, it starts with a causal factor. Then it continues with problem type, cause category, near root causes, and root causes. What I've noticed is that people confuse near root causes with root causes. And the main difference between these two is that near root causes explain what? Root causes explain why. So I can make a mistake and most likely, you know, when I do my investigation, I might find that the reason I missed this step is because I was not using the procedure. So I was not, you know, following the procedure. I was not using the procedure. That might sound like a why. And that's why I say that investigators, even though they're trained, confuse the what with the why. No, that's what happened. What happened was that I was not using the procedure, but there has to be a reason why I was not using the procedure. And the tool tells us it could be one of these four. The first one, oh, maybe I didn't use the procedure because it was not available or it was inconvenient to obtain, or it's difficult to use. The use is not required, but should be required, or there's no procedure for the task. So as you see, I have what and I have why, and investigators tend to confuse this. So when I read investigations and I take a look at the problem statements, I can find this type of mistakes, what it's called the effect hindsight. And that creates many issues when it comes to concluding objectively with, you know, the real root cause. So we learn little from mistake because we blame the wrong cause. And that's why the FDA wants us to fully investigate. That's why European GMPs asking us to justify our conclusions. And that's why that the Canada or Canadian GMP says not only justify it, I want you to justify with objective evidence. So as you see, and I'm talking about a GMP regulators, but again, I know that we can expand this to other type of regulations. So basically that's what they're seeing. So why we don't get to the root of the problem? Well, because even investigators are biased. Okay, so today, much of what we know of human error comes from high reliable organizations and similar environments due to big losses of money and lives. And high reliable organizations are in organizations that have succeeded in avoiding catastrophes in environments where things can really go really wrong due to the nature of what they do. But one thing, and again, I talk about it in, in other episodes, but today I do want to talk about one of those things that created a lot of information to later be used in improving areas for human error reduction. And I'm going to use the example of anesthesiologist. Okay. So this is what happened with anesthesiologists. Not now because this has been corrected already, but for a long time, anesthesiologists had a terrible record. Okay. Due to boredom in operating rooms and long hours, sometimes they wouldn't notice that the breathing tube had come unhooked. And then, you know, terrible things occurred. In other instances, people or patients inhaled that deadly carbon monoxide, which is a byproduct of certain interactions of drugs. And even worse, 
many chemicals used were highly explosive. And even though there were controls, explosions happened occasionally. So that means that in an operating room, you could die because the anesthesiologist forgot about you and your breathing tube just, you know, basically... I don't even know where it is, or I got poisoned because, you know, these interactions on the drugs of the anesthesia. And and again, there were instances in which operating rooms exploded. So yes, that's terrible. You know, this continued, you know, this was a very bad thing. And this continued into the early 80s, okay? And that's one of the reasons why this has to be corrected is because malpractices, you know, suits skyrocketed. And at some point you have to do something about it. Either you fix the blame or fix the problem. And of course they chose the latter. So what is it that they did in order to try to fix this situation? One of the things study the situation, the current situation. So for a long time, there were two major makes of anesthesia equipment, two makes of that, this type of equipment, which the valve controlling anesthesia turned clockwise and general motors in which the valve controlling anesthesia turned counterclockwise. Okay. So the first thing they say, okay, you get used to one thing or the other. I don't know if this happens to you, but I told you that that I travel a lot for work and you don't know how many times I get burned because I open the water in the hotel from, you know, to, to one clockwise or counterclockwise. And it all depends where you are. You have to actually, you know, sometimes call and say, how do I, how do I deal with this shower? You know, I'm trying to have a normal life here, but no, of course not. And I'm not talking about other type of countries in which I remember one of my blow dryers exploded and that was in Argentina because I wanted it to work and it didn't fit. <laughs> it didn't fit in the, oh my God, I, forget it. I'm not even going to tell you about that. It's terrible. So the first thing they wanted to do was to standardize that equipment. So that's what they did. They say, you know what, let's standardize this. Let's make sure that everything is you know, designed in a very similar way. Another thing they did was they actually took a page from the pilot's books and they implemented checklists, but very well-defined checklists. Remember, when you use things like this, you are using things, this type of controls, because you want to increase the level of awareness, right? And increase the level of attention and all of these things. But if you overuse them, then that's not going to be that helpful. And that's why pilots, and in this case now, in this example that I'm giving you, they have implemented, but very well implemented. It's not just to do, you know, any type of checklist. This has to be well-developed and that's part of, of what I encourage you to do, but only when it's necessary, okay? Another thing that they do, and this is very interesting, and I talk about this, and especially when I did my doctoral dissertation, I wrote about OE and human error, and one day I'll talk to you about that but this is also something that I discovered while doing my doctoral dissertation, and it's called attitude adjustment, okay? That's another thing they did. They did a project for attitude adjustment, discouraging the know-it-all mentality and encouraging nurses to speak up, flattening the authority gradient, okay? It's like when, when those power and authority lines get buried, you know, for a little bit until, you know, we are all safe. So, that's part of what needed to occur because the environment, power, authority, and all of these things that was implemented. 
Another thing that was implemented was, of course, the peer checking and other types of approaches that are similar to that. And eventually their results were amazing. That's actually declined more than 40 folds. So back in the day, it was one on 5,000. Today, it's one in 300,000. Oh, woof. That's, that's, that's good to know, right? Then later I'm going to talk about radiologists because, but that we are going to discuss when we talk about visual detection. But as you see, and this is what I wanted to discuss today, there is a lot more than that comes from us, from the human equipment and that it eventually manifests in the external environment. And that's why we have to continue to ask why. And that's why I want you to continue to listen to what we are sharing here because there is a lot more that we want to share. I think that for today is enough. I think that we have learned enough. And I, you know, what can I say to close? Eh, Nothing. I think I've said it all. Okay, so let's just finish here. Thank you so much for listening to the Power of Why podcast with your host, Jeanette Collazo. Subscribe, remember, and share with people that you think might find benefit in the contents. Find us on humanersolutions.com, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And until the next time, I gave you the information. So now, take it away. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.